that was an absolutely shitty evening for all concerned, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm Andrew Harrison. It's Friday afternoon, and the first thing to say is we are not going anywhere. What we've realised over the past three years is that people enjoy Romaniacs for itself, not just for Brexit. So, even though we've taken a real shooing, and we are now almost certainly going to leave the EU at the end of January, the podcast will continue into the trade negotiations, the negotiation of the post-Brexit relationship, Boris Johnson's inevitable string of affairs, the lot. And to prove it, our first live show of 2020 is on sale now. It's at the legendary Epstein Theatre in Liverpool uh, on Saturday the 15th of February with Ian Ross, a hometown gig for me, and a special guest TBA. Search Epstein Romaniacs to find out more. Anyway, I'm joined by a bleary trio of Romaniacs regulars with about four hours sleep and 18 coffees between them. And we are going to pick through the ruins of election 2019. Listeners, you need to stand up right now and show some respect to the lioness of Best for Britain, the hardest working woman in political campaigning, a titan and a champion, Naomi Smith. Hello, Naomi. How Hello. are you? Hello. That's a ridiculously flattering intro. Thank it's you. It's true, though. How many hours sleep? Uh, not too bad, actually. Um, got home at about five. Um, woke up at about 11, so not too bad at all, really. That's great. Like being a student, waking mm. up at 11 o'clock. Mm. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> it's grim. It's miserable. What t- at what point did you know it had gone? So we um, obviously are the campaign with the best data um, and our our second round of data. So we did our first round that informed the initial recommendations we made for tactical voting at the start of the campaign. We always said we would update it throughout. We did our second one just before postal ballots dropped and that one turned out to be the most accurate. That one almost perfectly tracked the exit poll. Right. And um, at the start of the campaign, we did a press conference with our launching our tactical voting and at the end we did a final one last Monday with our final MRP and we didn't for the middle one because it looked so bad right and I didn't want to be the campaign calling for a more than 100 seat majority for uh, Boris Johnson yeah and I didn't want us to look like an outlier and I knew that we would be slammed for being an outlier and I wanted to wait until somebody else went first just because we'd already received huge criticism um, and I think it just goes to show that you really cannot be a prophet in your own land. Yeah. Um, I don't give a shit. I'm this person in 2014 telling the Liberal Democrats we're going to lose big time in 2015 unless we ditch Clegg. Wasn't really listened to, but I was yeah. right. Um, you don't take much comfort in being right. Um, so we sort of always knew how difficult this was. I spent the summer speaking to as many MPs as I could with our data. First of all, I was routinely dismissed and at times mocked by big wigs in the People's Vote campaign, in Parliament, uh, very senior former ministers telling me Johnson won't call a general election because once he's got the keys to number 10, he'll never want to leave it. He won't want to risk a Theresa May happening. And I said, as that is, as may be, I don't think you're right and I think we should be prepared for it. Secondly, I was then showing them our MRP with the pact scenarios. And I was saying, look, if Farage does what he did in 20, well, what UKIP did in 2017 and stand down, you are looking at a 100 seat plus majority for the Conservatives. And yeah. that is then not just about Brexit. That is them unwinding the NHS. That is them rolling back the welfare state. That is them tearing up decarbonisation and whatever else they want to do. Don't do it. Do not go for a general election. Look how awful it looks. Yeah. We got that to the shadow cabinet. That data went all throughout the Liberal Democrats, campaigns, teams, heads of campaigns, chiefs of staff for the leader, everyone saw it. Yeah. And they've all ignored it and went for the general election in the end. 
and we've got a result that we at Best of Britain feared. The, what we thought would happen, though, was that if we could get sufficient levels of tactical voting to work, we could just about deny him a majority. And what appears to have happened, and of course we're still crunching the numbers, and people like Chris Hanratty have done a really good job of this on Twitter overnight for us, thank God. Um, but what it appears to be is that exactly what happened uh, in the European elections happened again yesterday. We managed to shift, we, we managed to get a 5% swing in a British election. What we couldn't counter was that there was a bigger swing from Lab to Conservative of people who couldn't stand Jeremy Corbyn. We'll be coming on to that particular point. And we will come on to that. So Absolutely. sorry for a long intro, but no, no, that, that's broadly That's actually broadly I, married. I think that's something that a lot of listeners will really will really get a lot of value from there because that's a kind of level of detail you don't get anywhere else. Can you pick out any silver lining? Is there any little thing that you make that you think that's all right? Look, we got the popular vote. Yeah. Um the popular vote actually looks to have been fifty two forty eight in our favour. <sighs> We know that, and, and that is pretty where, much where the poll of polls on Leave Remain have been. It's been, actually been 53%. I think we got 52 it's last night. It's just over those 52.7 right, okay. so, so we are still a pro-Remain country, and probably increasingly so. Um, uh, we need to delegitimise this, this, this outcome. Um, this is, you know, bullshit, and we shouldn't stand for it. We were robbed um in 2016 with a dubious referendum there has been suppression of russian interference in our democracy and we now have uh you know a majority landslide government um elected on a minority of the votes great stuff but apart from that everything's brilliant uh also with us is ian dunt who's uh, writing a book called how to be a liberal and has just been nominated for optimist of the year hello ian how are you and how many hours of sleep did you get uh about two but they were quite fitful and unpleasant Yes, I'm sure I imagine that they were. You described the results as total despair, catastrophic era of darkness, the end of everything you value. <laughs> Overall, not great. I do remember writing that. I was quite fucked on whiskey at the time. Fucked on whiskey. Um, the, ca- the campaign, I mean, is this definitive proof now that you actually, you don't need to adhere in any way to the truth in campaigning? You can just refuse to be scrutinised and not do interviews and just steam on through. Yeah, it is. Um That doesn't have to remain the case. That is something that we fight. But what has just happened is that that technique has been vindicated. He avoided scrutiny, he wouldn't do interviews, he lied relentlessly, and he tried to smear and destroy tarnished reputation of those who tried to hold him to account. So now, in the future, people will look at this and think, that works. People overseas, other sort of countries and other political parties will look at it and think, that works. And he... Dominic Cummings and everyone around them will think that works, so we'll keep on doing it. So, yeah, it's been vindicated for now. Our challenge, our task, is to defeat it. But that is going to be one of the stories of the next five years of our lives. Can you see any silver linings, any little bits that you quite like? I quite like Chris Williamson losing his deposit or whatever happened. That was a nice thing. It was not much, really. I think my heart heart broke with the Berger, the Luciana Berger result, really. Because it was like, I mean, you could see where it was going... Sort of pretty early on. I mean, it's, it's pretty early on. I mean, you know, by eleven o'clock, even eleven thirty. Um, but then, like the the round after round of people that I admired and who behaved honourably being destroyed, and people who didn't behave honourably and weren't admirable yeah. winning was was eventually started to chisel away at your soul. And then something about the I think just because Swinson had gone, and like there was just that one bit of me. <laughs> it's preposterous, but like like the one little room in my brain. 
that I had reserved for hope was imagining Luciana Berger in charge of the Lib Dems uh, and Jess Phillips in charge of Labour. And just having an image of the two of them as the two party leaders doing yeah. something like that, I was like, that was the, the only happy place I had left. And then when, when Berger did it, I was like, oh, no, I've, that, that one's gone as well. So, so that was my heartbreak. Your moment. end of Rogue mm. One prediction actually came true because yeah, was, like in Rogue yeah. One, everybody died. <laughs> um, completing our panel, it's Alex Andreo again. How many hours sleep? Uh, three and a half. Where did you watch it? I don't want to say. <laughs> At a friend's house. At, At a, a friend's, friend's house. house. Hmm, interesting. You are strangely serene in defeat and you were strangely upbeat in our pre-election podcast. How are you feeling now about the results in general? Fine. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Okay. It's um, such an helpful. Because, uh, because there is nothing other than being philosophical about these things. Mm. You know, if I came through over a year of homelessness and I came through having to change my mother's diaper for the first time and I came through... Um, the referendum result, yeah. and I came through having a, a flock of seagulls haircut in the late 80s. <laughs> I'll come through. Th- this too shall pass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to be talking about uh, Corbyn's failure to resign and his overseeing a period of reflection um, a bit later, but it's clearly about fixing the choice of successor, isn't it? Is there any hope of reclaiming Labour from the mo- momentum left, do you think? So Laura Parker of Momentum did this astonishing interview um, this morning on the BBC where um, she was asked, you know, is this a disaster for Labour? Does it mean that you must now change direction? And her response was, but look how well we did in 2017. And, uh, uh, And her additional response was, but 20 million people saw our videos. <laughs> to, it, I mean, Emily Maitlis's face yeah. was a picture, um, you know. So she's running against PewDiePie now, and other people who have had the videos watched 20 million times. I yeah. don't really quite understand it. Well, yeah. you know, well, we'll return Burger the, the Angry Cat got 77 million views, and he ain't Prime Minister. That's true. Uh, We're going to return to the Labour question later in the show. Uh, We just took a break a moment ago to look at Boris Johnson's speech from the steps of number 10, where he seemed to, I think Alex, he said a a great softening of language there. Well, there was a slight softening of language. But he just couldn't stop himself going straight to the 50,000 nurses and 40 hospitals lie again. He won't stop that. It's in his nature. He opens his mouth and lies fall out. The thing that has changed over the last... 24 hours is a narrative about one nation conservatism. Um, I don't subscribe to the school of thought that now he's got such a big majority, he can face down the ERG and pursue something softer. And I don't think that for several reasons. Um, but, but chiefly something that I've mentioned on this podcast quite a few times, but not for a long time, actually, um, is this example of Canada that I've talked about before where you had a breakaway far-right group from the leading Conservative Party that went and did its own thing, became incredibly successful, and its charismatic leader then came back and took over the existing Conservative Party, and it was called the Reform Party. And this week we've had Farage talk about the Reform Party uh, and rebranding the Brexit Party once Brexit has been done. Um, I think this was always his plan. I think Farage always looked to uh, Canada as an example of of what he wanted. He is a Conservative and he wants to come home. He will want to come home to that Conservative Party. And so Farage is constantly, 
you know, uh, on Johnson's shoulder. And if he shows any signs at all of doing a softer form of Brexit, um, uh, he knows that he'll he'll have um, Farage to answer to. And so I, I am not hopeful at all that the ERG will suddenly be uh, castrated and... Um, Although that is a nice image, yeah, I think that's that's got to be spot on, right? I mean, Farage could be inside the body, could be outside the body, it makes no yeah. fucking difference. The pressure is there, and then not even the ERG guys, but like you know, Dominic Raab, Pretty Patel, these guys are not sat around going like, oh, I'm going to accept it, getting all softer just because you've got a majority. I mean, that that would chisel away him. So all of those pressures, that mm. internal conservative pressure will still be there. It, it is possible. And obviously, I think the speech that we just heard alluded to the idea that he was going to make it softer. But then the thing is, Prime Ministers always made that speech outside of Downing Street, right? Theresa May. They always do the opposite whatever. of what oh, is Margaret in that Thatcher. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. But I disagree on the fundamental underlying point. Um, I think Nigel Farage has been discredited to a certain extent in this election. I think he has become more irrelevant than he was four months ago, um, I think a larger majority is better than a smaller majority for the country. I really do think that, because then at least he has the option to surprise me and be a better prime minister than I expect him to be. But if he had a majority of 15 or 20 people, then he has absolutely no chance to be a better prime minister than I, just I expect can't, I can't, him to be. I can't see that. Like, I mean, this is not a man, there is nothing in his record that would suggest that he is ever going to impress you by his moderation or his reaching across. He has now discovered that something works, and now he has the capacity to do whatever he wants. And we know what they want. We, we saw the manifesto. We've seen the kind of attitude that what him and Cummings want, want to do. I just think we, we have to start... I mean, look, I, I pray but, that but I'm wrong, not, and you could be right, listen, but I think we have to start facing up to the fact that he could be... It's appalling. not about him doing it or not doing it, or whether there's evidence that he will do it or not do it. It's about whether he now has more options than he would have if he had a majority of 20 and was literally shackled to the ERG. And I think he does. Okay. Well, look, I mean, we did win the popular vote, but we've taken a spanking and our end of things is not going to come to fruition. So we've got to ask ourselves some hard questions. And the hardest one of all is, is this the end of Remain? Yes. Think. Yes. Think it's it's over. A, yeah. Remain is Remain is obviously over. There's there's nothing that can stop Brexit happening on the 31st of January. I mean, I can't, can't I can't imagine it outside of you know some extraordinary other you know a tornado giant squid taking away down the street. Yeah. Giant, giant squid, squid lands, squid in, lands yeah. in the middle of London. I don't yeah. like that. Everyone. Now. Yes. No. So I mean, look, I mean, there's no point beating around the fucking bush on that. Like th- that is over. The question that we have is, what does rejoin look like? And my instinct is we've got to be smart about this. If we, there's going to be a, a, a real emotional attraction now to just being like, right, it's done. We rejoin now. Everything's about now, now, now. Mm-hmm. I think look, sh- if we aim for short term, we're going to get long term. But if we aim for medium term, we can get that. Right. And medium term to me is, and this is not a lovely thing to say, but it, it is 10 years. He's got a five-year now. I don't, I don't see anything that can stop him serving those four or five years. Given the state of Labour... It, it, probably 10. It's probably 10. Yeah, yeah. If we, in the middle of all the churning negotiation that he's going to have over the free trade agreement, just keep on doing rejoin, 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 we're going to sound like 
the mad old bloke in the back of a pub We're gonna who never SDP, got over. Aren't we? The romp SDP. Yeah, you're just you're tedious, and, and and no one's going to want to do all of that, and then immediately jump back in, and the Europeans won't want it either. So it has to be. This is about getting, I would suggest, the Labour Party into a position where it will propose EU membership for the election after the next one. And that's really where I think our chances are, looking at the medium term and being realistic about that and couching European membership among the liberal values that we're going to have to fucking fight for. Yeah. for the next few years, as opposed to the pinnacle policy around you know, pyramid of those. And values. happening alongside all of that, of course, is the union. I, I, my first tweet last night after the exit poll was about something I'd said previously, which was that was the last general election of the United Kingdom. Tonight, a unionist party has destroyed the union. Mm-hmm. Um, look at the SNP in Scotland. Now, again, that was ta- a lot of that was tactical voting. A lot of those votes were lent to the SNP to stop the Conservatives winning because they had a very late surge in the campaign in Scotland and looked to be potentially winning 14 seats there, though. So, um, you know, it's it's not obvious that... that Indie Ref 2 will go through, but it's pretty clear that they've got much, much, much more chance of that. Um, and and again, we've seen, um, you know, if, if Boris Johnson wants to stick with a border in the Irish Sea, he's got big problems in Northern Ireland as well. So I agree with you, Ian, completely. I think this is a medium term project. We have got to now as a community get behind uh, the leaderships, uh, the leadership races of both Labour and the Liberal Democrats, both of which will will have them in the coming weeks and months. Um, but we've also got to ha- ask ourselves some very, very fundamental questions about how we organise. Um, we, if, if nothing else, we've got the benefit now of a period of reflection. Mm-hmm. We are not into the next fight, and in, you know, we're not going to be jumping straight into the referendum campaign or anything like that. We, we've now got a period of reflection, and they've had their chance now. We've we've done it their way. We've tried doing it their way a few times, and it's failed us and it's failed us all and the remain parties failed us and that's why we had to do tactical voting that was why we had to try and get the voters to do their job for them um and and it, we now have to have a much much more uh progressive block of willingness to work together and putting tribalism aside and that will be contingent on who takes the mantle of those leaderships and that's critically important yeah. Um, and and it is is the immediate short term fight in order to achieve the lo- the mid term goal that that Ian puts. Absolutely. Yeah. Hard question number two: the the blame remain narrative is right out there from Conservatives and uh, Labour, essentially that we fucked it up. We were the ones. Remain. We were the ones who couldn't organise ourselves, we gave them a confused message, whereas Get Brexit Done was a simple message. The evidence is that Labour voters who defected to the Tories were far more worried about Corbyn than Brexit, and Labour Remainers didn't trust Corbyn on, on Brexit. But to what extent? You've just said, Naomi, yeah. that the Remain parties failed us. Yeah, they did. Did we fail ourselves? So, no matter what election you look at in modern, and I take the whole of the 20th century and 21st century into it, no party wins without a clear message. So a party with all the money can lose to a party with a very clear message. In this election, the party with all the money also had the clear message. So we didn't stand a cat's chance in hell as a, as a, as a progressive left bloc, including Labour, Liberal Democrats, yeah. etc. Um, the Remain parties failed. Civil society organisations can only ever get you so far. Um, 
Now, of course, the People's Vote campaign was in total meltdown just at the time it was it was needed. Best of Britain wasn't. It picked up that that uh, baton and ran with it, and we were well organised. But we were a third party campaign limited on what we were allowed to spend, which was under half a million pounds. It was, you know, tens of times smaller than what the political parties themselves were allowed to spend and did spend. But if you haven't got a clear message, you're fucked. And we're all fucked because of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's a... Okay. Well, like, we all have to sit and just sort of think about, like... Twitter at the moment is basically a shitload of people going, what did I get right in the past? Where they highlight off tweets of theirs. That happened. You're just like, great. I mean, you know, it's not... We could all fucking find anything. You've got to think, like, what, what did we... So what, what did we get wrong? I'm not sure that you can do anything, man. Naomi's saying, without a functioning opposition party. Yeah. Like, we have had that for three years of just a hole in the middle of this thing. Like, what can you achieve in that circumstances? Look at Bloom Twitch. Then I started looking over, like, I was thinking about myself. Like, I was thinking about about saying that, fuck it, we should go for the election. And I look, but if I was to go back to that period, I honestly think I would just say, I mean, no, if I could go back in time, I wouldn't say it. But if you presented me with those sets of risk analyses again, of saying this deal is about to go through, Brexit is about to happen, or you've got a spin of the dice here, you would still have to go for it. So you have to go back, like, strategically and just sort of think, in the end... Just like, I'm not sure there's much to gain by just beating ourselves over the back on this sort of stuff. And there's also much to be remembered about the way the things that Remain has done that worked with almost no media support, with almost no political support, with people just constantly slagging it off. The people have very quietly and diligently stood up for the things that they believe in for three years. And if they remember that sense of solidarity that they had with each other, that sense of commitment and loyalty Mm -hmm. that they have to each other, that is the thing that's going to get us through the next five. And listeners cannot fall into the trap of believing the bullshit about this being all Brexit's fault. This was Brexit, it was Brexit. It fucking wasn't. I went to rural constituencies. I went to towns. I went to cities. I went to Labour strongholds. I went to Libcon marginals. I canvassed Tory wards, Labour wards. I was knocking up Labour lifelong supporters and I can promise you not once did Brexit come up until I prompted it not once but what was volunteered time and time and time again by young by old by men predominantly occasionally women was Corbyn 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 particularly the weekend after the London Bridge attack in uh, northeast constituencies where I was you know campaigning on behalf of Labour I was hearing, oh, he's a terrorist sympathiser. Look what happened in London yesterday. There's no way I can back Labour. I love this local Labour MP. I have voted Labour all my life. My mum and dad have always voted Labour. There is no way I'm doing it this time. And so listeners just cannot be allowed to be fobbed off by bullshit spin coming out from the Labour Party at the moment that this was all the Lib Dems' fault or all Brexit's fault. We weren't Brexit enough. Because it's just delusional bollocks it's certainly the case though that the air war she's nobody's turned to you ian she's she, I, to I have slightly noted that she's swearing considerably <laughs> more than me. i have noticed that the air war seems to be entirely it was brexit not corbyn it was brexit not corbyn um and our listeners by and large don't have their hands on the levers of power in the labor party where that decision about the leadership is going to be made among the people who do have their hands on the levers of power are well, uh, Alex just described one person, Ellie Mayo, someone else, Ellie Mayo Hagen on Twitter saying the movement had a good campaign. McDonald saying we won the argument. I mean, how is it possible to break into this bubble and get people to think again, 
even when I'm able to intrude on it via social media, I get violent pushback. No, absolutely not. It's it's. Uh, it, I I think it's what you would call a fatal system error in computer yeah. language. You, it's it's impenetrable, um, because the the fundamental flaw in the logic is the idea that those most vulnerable need radical change delivered in a revolutionary way. And it's just not true. Those most vulnerable actually need incremental change because they know in their fucking bones, they know in their DNA that they're the first victims of revolutions. Mm. Yeah. Okay? So going out there and polling people and getting a, a response that all our policies are popular, you know, it's popular to nationalize railways, it's popular to give free internet, it's popular to do this, it's popular to do that. Individually, it may be popular, but when you offer those 40 policies as a slate to someone who is one pay packet away from destitution, it's fucking scary. And they just don't yep. grasp that. Because, revolution, not revolution. Because, yes, mm. because revolutionary principles are basically a bourgeoisie construct. So they're always... Are you calling the momentum bourgeois? How uh, very absolutely. dare you? Absolutely. They are, they are completely the, the, the dream of the comfortably off. Yeah. Um, but like I said, when you're a pay packet away from not being able to pay your rent you might think a couple of those policies, that'd be good, but all 20 together at the same time, and that's the bit they don't poll. They don't say, if we do all these things a day one, do you think that's a sensible way to go? Because they'd get a thumping no. I hope that the debate in Labour is not too binary. Because at the moment, there's an awful lot of Left or centre or, you know, Corbyn people or not Corbyn people or Metropolitan Remainer or Lever. And I just think that these are all, that is just a profoundly simplistic way of, of looking at the whole thing. And it actually has to be a much more nuanced, like you just said, you can take quite a few of these policies and you can also take the central message. You can, you can, it is worth now, I think, liberal, lefty, centrist, whatever the fuck you want to call it, taking a look at Corbyn. And thinking an unpopular question right now, but there is something to be gained by thinking, what did work? Why was there something in there that kept it going? And I would suggest the answer to that is authenticity. And so on that, you think there is not, there is not a binary opposition between being authentic and being able to reach out outside of your rank and file. I you know, and so oh, these are lessons we can take on that we can find, and I hope, I hope that it doesn't just become a battle between centre and left, leave and remain. I, I, I don't disagree with taking time to select someone for the future, but we need an interim leader yeah, yeah. now, yeah. today, not tomorrow. And because Tom imagine, Watson didn't restand, the deputy yeah. leader is no longer... But you know, just there, there imagine no the, the mm. first PMQs. Imagine Corbyn going against Johnson yeah. for the next two, three, five, ten PMQs. It's going to be It more, will be humiliating. It'll be sentimental. It'll be awful. And it'll be hand-wringing. And it it'll will produce be nothing. We need, we need an interim person now. Yeah. We need someone fresh, Someone like Keir Starmer. If the world made any the, sense, that would be a vector. Yeah. Well, who would just like allow her to just sniper just the shit someone, out of him? Yeah. Someone. One of our uh, Twitter people, Cornell Sandvoss, amazing name, says uh, worth noting that Milne 
The current Labour leadership and the Tories share the same two objectives here, keeping Labour a Corbynite project and putting Brexit beyond the realm of democratic debate. Both parties have shared interests. Calling Brexit done... Well, that was always the case. We knew that. Mm. I mean, we've said that many, many times before on the show. Um, where, Where I will slightly diverge from... Ian and Naomi, is that I think there are short-term things that we can be doing. And I don't think they're to do with Brexit and I don't think they're to do with the parties, but they are to do with looking at accountability, with looking at fact-checking, with looking at the rules and regulations around um, electoral um, laws. I think all of that needs to happen pronto. Do you think it's going to happen? Pronto or not? I think it can happen because that can be actually grassroots driven. I think from a civil society perspective, it'll happen. I think there'll be some voices within Labour that will champion it. But if we're real, you know, this is the Tories are now going to push through boundary changes that will Mm -hmm. favour them. Um, And the the chances of any kind of electoral reform in our favour, as opposed to actually moving against us, not even remaining status quo, are now seriously diminished. Yeah. yeah. I just just have to note one last thing while we're talking about Jez's performance and whether it's Brexit or not Corbyn. It is very interesting how apparently Corbyn's leadership powers were sufficient to persuade people over to mass nationalisation and high taxation and all manner of unorthodox economics, which the electorates had opposed all the way through. But apparently they were not powerful enough to get them over to Remain, which most of them supported anyway. They're not powerful <laughs> enough. He's powerful enough to do all these other things, but not powerful enough to sell the better deal followed by... It's, I don't know why, but maybe it's maybe it's like kryptonite or uh, biorhythms. I don't know. It's that one blank spot. Or bullshit. Or bullshit. Could be that. Could be bullshit. Just how, how do we think the leadership campaign in the Labour Party is going to play out? Is it going to be completely gamed uh, by the period of reflection by... Milne and uh, McDonald. That's exactly what they're going to try and do. And like, there's a really good case right now for people joining the Labour Party, yeah, yeah. becoming a member yeah. today and getting in there. It's four yep. pounds a month. I've spoken to two or three people this morning who look like they're about to vomit out their soul. I mean, <laughs> Ingrid's like, obviously oh, already done it. Of course, I mean, yeah, okay. she's the vanguard. Of, I, jo- <laughs> I joined at ten thirty. Oh, did you really? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. it, it's such an obvious thing to do. Mm-hmm. And no pedcock on the ballot. No, no pedcock. And no. there's good. Look, there are really good people around who could turn this shit around. And I don't, you know, this thing that we're saying about the ten years, the moment that is likely. I, I take that, but times are more volatile than they were before. When we point now to, you know, Labour being in the doldrums in like the early '80s and how long it took them to build up from a similar level. Well, that was actually a very different scenario. Things are more volatile. Things change much yeah. more quickly. I think that Labour voters who supported Boris Johnson this time will wear that loyalty very thinly indeed. Yes, I agree. So ultimately, you, this could be done in five years, but you need the yeah, right fucking person. You know. This is a majority that's held together with blue tack, mm-hmm. basically. And he will either bed it in, if he's clever, and make it, you know, make those his seats to um, overturn, or he will... He, it will fall apart quite quickly. You see, this is, and I this think is why I'm is suspicious of, of this idea that he would soften, because at the moment what he had now has is a coalition of people with contradictory economic interests. Yeah. Okay? Uh, normal Tories, Shire Tories, sure. let's say, and, yeah. you know, Labour voters in northern towns. So how does he gel that coalition together through culture war? Because that ultimately is the only thing that's worked so far, and I suspect it will be the only thing that works for him in the future. 
You're not going to have Tories, you know, two years into a government with a huge majority going, oh, let's have more public spending for the North. Because <laughs> that's not what they actually believe well, in. So I suspect that the incentives to him will always go back to the culture war. But the thing is, uh, having recreated the Tory party as a nationalist populist party, English. surely, yeah, English, surely he has to look after the North in a Tory context. He can't simply write them out. That's the, that's the horse he rode in on. The thing is, when you put it like, look after the North, it sounds great. When you talk about more spending money, when you talk about more public spending, yeah, exactly, yeah. especially and when it's like, oh, we're going to have to do money. more borrowing now. Exactly. Yeah. But, but it, no, but the point is, it was never about that in those northern seats. It was about getting Brexit done. And I think we underestimate how easy it will be on the 1st of February for him to step out of Downing Street and say, that's it, I got it done. And for a lot of those people to lose interest in what comes after completely, it will be some complicated trade negotiation that they don't give a yeah. shit about. That, that may well be true. And actually, I think that that actually could play in our favour quite yeah. significantly. Because if there's any benefit at all that we can find today, it is the fact that there is a reset in the conversation. Where we need to be for rejoin on medium term is the EU membership needs to be the change. It needs to be the thing that provides hope, that is not the status quo. What yeah. has fucked us for years has been association with the status quo. So the point, even if people aren't paying that much attention to the protracted wrangles and horror stories of the trade negotiation, the fact that they would have thought that it would be done, that it can close a book chapter, and that therefore he then owns the things that come later, put us in much better stead for what might happen in yeah. five, eight, yeah. ten years' time. Uh, or in 12 months' time when Brexit hasn't been done yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah well yeah, that's yeah. gonna but, yeah. really fuck him but that's what takes me to my original point on which i insist in i think you're being unnecessarily bleak because actually an unpopular populist to me is a much more dangerous animal than a popular populist a, right now when he's riding a wave he is less prickly less likely to go to lizard instincts of the electorate than he would be if he was depending on a majority of 15. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think it's perfectly possible that you're right. He's mercurial. He has no real beliefs. You know, we, we will see which way he ends up going. And I fucking pray that that is correct. I think you, you're probably in the majority view of most of the commentary that I see. Most people sort of assume that that, that is the thing that happens. My counter is simply this. It's not something that you know, of course you don't. It's just my suspicion, which is that you have to base what you know of someone and their future behaviour on the evidence of how they have behaved so far. As Maya Angelou said, when someone shows you who, who they, they are, are, believe them believe the first them. time. Yeah. 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 And he has shown us, he now has evidence that it works, and I think on that basis, my, my, my assumption, my suspicion is that he will continue to behave in that way. But where I differ from because I have also read those tweets and those pieces, and where I differ from them is that I'm not saying that will happen. I'm not saying he's some closet liberal <laughs> that will now let his Europhile roots show. I'm saying he now has the option, whereas with a majority of 15 or 20, he doesn't. There is and one. that has to be a good thing. You don't want, you don't want a nutcase with very limited options. Yeah. There is one other aspect of the of the large majority that may have unintended consequences, which is that he used to be able to go 
to Brussels and say, you've got to give me concessions. I can't control those people back home. They're crazy. Mm -hmm. I can't. They're out of control. Now the EU is in a position to say, well, you've got a large majority. You can deliver what you tell us in this room you can deliver. And actually what we need you to deliver is the following. I take my hat off to the Danish government, who chose this morning to announce that they want access to our waters for fish and they really need, uh, we really need to be looking at that for a future deal. That's like tanks, <laughs> tanks on a watery lawn and <laughs> stuff. There'll be fish a lot, trolling. Yeah, there'll, fish be a trolling. Lot, there'll be a lot more of that going on. Yeah. And, the, you know, having promised, having promised this deal by the end of 2020, I come back to this idea that we get to November... Actually, no, if if there is an extension, it has to be agreed by the summer. So we get to the summer of 2020, and he doesn't have his deal, and it doesn't look likely that the deal will be done by the end of 2020. At least now, with the majority, he has the option to extend. Whereas, if he depended on those 15, 20 really hardcore Spartans, they would push us over the hill. Mm. Yeah. I was my stomach turned when Mark Francois popped up on the telly last night, full of gloating and bumptiousness. Oh, but perhaps he won't matter quite so much as he thinks he will. Possibly. Who knows? The um, first ever Romaniacs podcast that I recorded was the day after the 2017 general election mm -hmm. and it was the first time I met Ian and Andrew yeah. and Dorian um, and we were so young and happy we were so days. young and happy <laughs> we were very happy um, but also incredibly tired and hungover and yeah all the rest of it um, and I'm just so pleased that you know I'm here again today after the next general election but knowing that this absolutely well that one might have been my first this one will not be my last because this show is going to continue the fight will continue the movement will continue and we've built something incredible not just through Romaniacs but the entire Remain movement is in such a better place than it was when we were fighting the referendum we've now got the majority of the creative industries on our side we've got the tech industries on our side We've got young people on our side. Um, you know, we, we, we will prevail. Um, it's a setback, but we, 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 could, we should and can never take this stuff for granted. Um, you know, all of our, our hard-won rights, and we're not going to give up now, and no one's going anywhere, and we're not going to do what the Leavers did in 75 and just sort of hang around moaning at the sidelines for 25 years until things came back our way. We're, we're going to carry on. That's it, we're actually ahead of schedule. We're <laughs> way ahead of schedule. We've got a mass movement. They never even bothered creating a mass movement exactly. for about 20, 20 years, did they? So, yeah, that's exactly. good. We, like, people are going to be sat this weekend, and they're going to be feeling really fucking lonely um but like that movement that sense of the alliances that you made and the connections and the friendships that you made at the moment that is basically the only functioning opposition to boris johnson's government that's what that is yeah we are labor party does not exist the lib dems are basically just a stump you know the smp god bless them and i agree with them on a shitload of stuff but they cannot, by definition, care about what happens in the UK because they don't, by definition, care about what happens in the UK. That's not what they are. There is nothing there now but what you make for yourself. That's what that movement is at the moment. It is basically the last defence mechanism. So people are going to be depressed over the weekend. Of course they are, and I strongly recommend taking drugs and alcohol for that. I've always found it just works really, really we, well. We don't endorse that message. I, 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 I strongly yeah, I endorse All it. Right and, and pretty much everyone Straight around this table. Harrison, <laughs> but like after that, you are going to get up and you're going to pull your fucking socks up and we're going to get back to work 
and we are going to win this thing. It's going to take a bit of time. People are entitled to be depressed for a bit, but then we get up and we fight. Amen. All right. Well, there we are. It's a new world. It's not the one we wanted, but it's the one we've got. And we're the one that we can, in time, remake. We're going to be back next week with a live show recorded on Tuesday, the 17th of December at the Leicester Square Theatre. Until then... Fa-la-la-la-la-la-fucking-la. There you go. (laughs) Absolutely. Until then, a small reminder from this week's regular show that went out a thousand years ago before the election. Our foreign language clip was in Norwegian from nine-year-old Lydia Wishart where she said that her dad always calls the EU the European Friendship Club, and it took off. So whatever happened, wherever we go, we're always going to be members of the European Friendship Club. And the first rule of European Friendship Club is always talk about European Friendship Club. (laughs) We'll see you all next week. Keep on keeping on. (laughs) 